grace. Discover God's plan. And we've come to the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel is a book that the first half of the book is it's filled with history and some absolutely incredible stories. And the second half, chapters 7 through 12, are things that are going to take place in the future. In fact, when God gave Daniel the visions and told him to write down the, the visions that he had, he told them to seal them up because he was not going to understand them. And now we have the book of Revelation. We begin to see how things have worked out. And God used Daniel in absolutely incredible ways in sometimes some very dire circumstances. Some of the circumstances are the way I would respond personally would be, God, that's not the way I want you to do this. God, this is not what I've been praying for. Would you please do it differently than me? And Daniel, certainly through his life, from the very beginning, as a young man who was taken from his nation of Israel and taken by force by the Babylonians into a foreign land to ultimately serve a foreign king for God's glory. And through his life, from the very beginning as a teenager in exile to the very end of his life, there's a couple of things about Daniel that are incredible. He was consistent. And also, not only was he consistent, he was a man that was committed he was committed, and what he said he was going to do, he did. In your life and my life, there are going to be hard times. Nowhere in the Bible, I'm, I'm sorry, I've looked, maybe you've looked too, where it says, thou shalt become a follower of Jesus Christ and everything should be easy. I'm afraid, I, I looked, it doesn't say that. Even if you try to run of the real weird modern versions, it still doesn't say it. And we, we tried. It doesn't promise that we'll have an easy life, but we do see consistently throughout Scripture from the very beginning to the end of God's protection for us. When God says, I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. He's given us not just the promise of that, He's given us, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. Everywhere you go, God is quite literally with you every step of the way. We are promised in the good times and in the hard times, God's protection. Let me give you just a little bit of background for the book of Daniel. And then once we get into that, I'm going to tell the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And maybe it's brand new to you. And even if it's not, open your Bibles and take your Bibles and look at Daniel chapter number 6. If you need bulletins to follow along with the notes, just outside the doors there, you can have the sermon notes in the bulletin. You can follow along. But let me give you some background. Daniel chapter number 6. Daniel at this particular time is an old man. He's an elder statesman. Some Bible commentators estimate he's in his mid-80s at this time. He has been there, done that. He has seen the highs and the lows. He's gone through a number of different kings, and he's been faithful in serving them all the way through. And he's come to a particular king in Daniel 6 named King Darius. King Darius is relatively new to the throne, and with that, he's resetting up the kingdom. And what it was, he was a Persian king, and they overthrew the Babylonians. And altogether, they had 120 different provinces. And over every single province, they put a governor. They called them, in, in, the, in the Bible, they called them sand traps. 
And the, the governors were over every single province. There was 120 governors. Over the governors, King Darius put three head governors over the, all the others. And of that, Daniel was so faithful in serving God, and he showed himself to be faithful, that God put him, with the king's permission, over all of them. So he was the number, basically the number two in charge of this entire huge kingdom. And in Daniel chapter 6, verse number 3, it says, Then this Daniel became distinguished among all the other high officials and sand traps, and became an, because of an, and here's the key, an excellent spirit was in him. Excellent spirit, I did a little bit of research on that. It has to do with the fact that he was wise and that he had integrity. That's what that has to do with. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now you imagine the world superpower of the time, and there's 120 different provinces, and each one of these governors has the opportunity to pillage a little bit and put off some to the side. And they could make themselves incredibly rich. The only problem was they had to give account to a guy that didn't play the game like they did. He did what was always right. And that really annoyed the rest of these governors. In fact, to the point where they said, we want to get rid of this guy. How are we going to get rid of him? Let's start a conspiracy. So they began to work behind the scenes and they began to try to manipulate the situation. And they said, how can we find an area in Daniel's life as a governor? There should be, there should, surely is some sort of proverbial skeleton in his closet that we can bring out and bring him down so that we can go back to our old ways of you know, putting extra in our pockets along the way. Daniel 6, verses 4 and 5, it says, Then the high officials and the sand traps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault. Here's the key, another key. Because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And verse number 5, they come up with a great idea. We're not going to be able to find any fault in this man. In any way, we're going to have to find some fault with this weird God that he serves, this God of the Israelites, this God he calls Jehovah. Verse 5, it says, Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. They had to make up a brand new law. Now, this particular period of time, they had the Persian kings, and the Persian kings would sign something, and they would put a seal on it, and it was, if it was sealed with the king's seal, Persian law said the law could not be changed. So these governors come into the king, and they start working on a, a real guy thing, this thing called his ego. And they start pushing up his ego and saying, oh, Darius, you are an amazing king. We want to honor you. And the way we want to honor you is we want to make a law that's going to honor you. The law is that no one in, the, in any of the 120 provinces, basically the world superpower of the time, could pray to any god except for you. No one could bring any petition to any god. They could only pray to you, Darius. And of course, like a typical guy, we go, 
Yes, I am. I am that good. And that's exactly what Darius did. He signed the law, sealed it, and he didn't think through the ramifications of that law at all. And Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, gives a response of this faithful statesman, this man who God had spoken to a number of times through visions. And Daniel's response wasn't, oh no, what am I going to do? Hard times had come to Daniel. All the other rulers underneath him hated him because he was faithful. He did what was right. He wouldn't steal like they would. He wouldn't cut the corners like they would. He was only, the thing they could find in fault was the fact that he served and only served the one true God. And verse number 10 says that when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He did exactly what he had always done in the past. And of course, this allowed those who were after him to come and they knew exactly what he was going to do. Daniel didn't hide it. He had the windows wide open and they worked it out where they were going to stand underneath the window and they saw what Daniel was doing and they went up and they brought him before the king and they said, King, look what's happened. And the amazing thing is, Darius didn't want to kill Daniel. He didn't want to throw him to the lions. A little bit of side note that I missed earlier in my story. The penalty for praying to any other god was to be thrown into a pit of lions. So it's pretty drastic. Daniel was brought before the king. The king tried everything he could to change the law, but the law was fast. The law was firm. They had made it airtight, and Daniel certainly was guilty and didn't deny his guilt, the fact that he had prayed to the one true God. And as a result, he was cast into the lion's den. The amazing part of this is that Darius, as he ordered Daniel to be cast into the lions, said, I hope your God protects you. And certainly God did protect Daniel. Look at verse number 19. After a sleepless night, Darius gets up and runs to the lion's den. And verse number 19, it says, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was and cried out in a tone of anguish. This is the king talking. Then the king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Now, first of all, a little side note. I mean, I've never personally thrown anyone to the lions. But generally, when you throw someone to the lions, they die. And this man is not an unintelligent man. He's done this before. He's experienced at throwing people to the lions. He had such faith himself and believed in Daniel's innocence and God's protection on Daniel's life that he even embarrassed himself to run to a pit that he knew that everyone else that had been thrown in there in the past had always died. And he calls out with a loud voice and anguish in his voice, you know, Daniel, are you still alive? And you imagine the guards going, that's never happened before. 
Verse 21, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. And he continues in verse number 22, and he gives him the reason why he was spared. It wasn't that he's incredibly strong and he intimidated the lions and the lions were scared in the corner and cowering all night long as he overpowered them. It says this, my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths and they have not harmed me. Why? Because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. That's an amazing account. Now, first of all, if you have lions, don't go to the zoo and jump in and go, go, protect me. Don't do it. Here, Daniel was rightly accused of a law that was falsely written. And he did what was right. The punishment for the other guys who were conspiring against the king was that, that their entire household, and it says in, in, in verse number 24, they were thrown into the lions, their wives and their children were all thrown in. It's pretty severe punishment. Don't mess up in the Persian Empire. If, <laughs> particularly, you hope that your parents don't mess up because you're going to suffer. It was severe punishment. Ultimately, though, God was glorified. If you look down in verse number 26 near the end of the chapter, God was glorified. Darius himself made another decree. The first decree he made was that everyone should worship me for 30 days because I am that good. The end of this account, it wasn't just for the fact that God wanted to spare Daniel. It ultimately, God wanted to bring glory to himself. And in verse 26 it says, I make a decree that all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear. In other words, you have to tremble. You have to fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Now you and I today, I'm going to make some very brief statements that I want you to mull over. This is by no means a normal message for me, and this is by no means an exhaustive account of Daniel and the lion's den and things we can bring out of it. But in your life and my life, there are going to be hard times. You are sometimes going to suffer for doing what is right. When you go to work tomorrow or go to school tomorrow, sometimes you're going to suffer for doing the right thing, for stamping up and doing what is right. When others around you go, I don't like that guy. He does what is right all the time. I, I'm trying to cut corners, and he won't do it. You won't do the things that they do. You won't not just cut the corners, but you won't laugh at the jokes that they laugh at. You don't have the same moral compass that they do. You have a moral compass ba based upon not just your feelings, but based upon the Word of God, the Bible. You know the verses in the Bible, like Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says, and we know that for those that love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 13 and verse 19, where it says, I can do all things through Him, that is Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. And in verse 19 says, and my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we look at those verses and we go, yes, I know the Bible. I know what it says that God will supply, but I don't feel it right now. In fact, I feel very alone. I feel like what I say I believe and my circumstances, they're not quite lining up correctly. I believe that God promises protection. Daniel, in his particular circumstance, God sent an angel to protect him. 
God may send an angel for you unaware, but I believe in God's protection and God's providence in every area of our lives. We're going to look at two different points this morning that every single Christian here today can rely upon and live in God's protection. Not like a genie in the bottle where we sit back and do nothing and we expect God to do it all for us, but in our faith journey, walking along in our journey together, we can grasp onto and hold on to God's protection. Let's use Daniel as an example, and let's look at Daniel's life very, very briefly. Every week we have a principle. The principle is this. God's protection is waiting for me. God's protection is waiting for me. The first point we have this morning is this. Daniel, in order to live in God's protection, was committed to God. There are certain things in your life that you are committed to. You are committed to various things. You're committed to your family. That's a good thing. You're committed to your job. You're committed to your school. You're committed to your sports club. You know, even when they're at the bottom of the ladder, you go, yes, come on, next year. You're committed to lots of different things in this life. Here, Daniel was committed to God. In Acts chapter 16, verse 31, we see the source for us today of our commitment to God is relationship. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the source. That's the beginning of our commitment to God is not us holding on to God, but God holding on to us. The Bible teaches that God sent Jesus to earth to live a perfect life here on earth not just so we can have good principles to live our lives by, but ultimately have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Not just for now here on earth, but ultimately in all eternity in heaven with Him. He had commitment to God. That commitment led to faithfulness. And he certainly had a commitment to faithfulness in his life. In the very beginning of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 1, in verse number 8, they had just been taken from Israel into Babylon. He's a teenager at this time, and already as a young man, he is making resolutions in his life. In verse number 8, he's given an opportunity to live like every other person, to live like a Babylonian, to eat like a Babylonian, and basically integrate in his mind and ultimately his religion. And what they did then was, if you're trying to conquer a, a nation, it's a brilliant way to conquer them. You would take the, the elite, the elite, like I'm sure all of us, and you would take them and you would train them and you would totally integrate them within your own culture. You would feed them your own food. You would teach them your own laws and principles and history to the point where, although you were born as an Israelite, now as a mature person, you are totally Roman in your mindset. And ultimately, that was their goal, is to make everyone like themselves. But Daniel refused to integrate. He took the knowledge that he had, and he worked hard. He wasn't lazy, but he was ultimately faithful, not to his, his oppressors, but faithful to God. And in verse number 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Daniel was given a test as a teenager. You want all this delicious food? Or do you want just the old stuff that you used to eat? And Daniel says, I don't want to defile myself with those things. I'm going to be faithful to God. And ultimately, God blessed him. He also, in that passage, in the, in the next part, in verse 17, we see his commitment to work. Daniel was a man who was never going to go back to Israel ever again. 
He was a man that his new normal, his new reality was as a person living in the Babylonian Empire. And rather than sitting back and going, well, this isn't the way I planned it when I was a kid, and saying, well, therefore, God can never use me, he looked at his present circumstances and said, I'm going to do my very utmost to be faithful in the here and now. And God blessed him. He blessed his, free, his three friends also. There's four of them all together. And each and every one of them were working, and each and every one of them was ultimately blessed. In verses 17 through 20, and if, you get, if you go back to verse number 20, it says, And in the matter of wisdom and understanding, about which the king inquired of them, he found them, that is Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends. They were ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. They said because they were faithful, they only just they did the hard work, and they were ten times better because of God's blessing than everyone else. That was as a teenager. He also was faithful to hard work as a, a mature statesman. Go back to chapter number six in verse three. We read that verse earlier, and it says Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit was was in him. Even as a mature man, you know, as a retiree, he was never, ever saying, I'm going to sit back and do nothing. I'm always going to continue to work hard. There's a, there's a commitment there. To live in God's protection, we have to understand who we're committed to. We need to ask God things that are reasonable in the sense of if we're sitting back and doing absolutely nothing, we're not reading our Bibles, we don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we're not living a faithful, consistent life before Him, but then we say, God, I've got myself in a really, really big problem here. I'm rubbing the proverbial genie in the bottle. God, please get me out of my problem here because I got myself into this huge problem. You cannot go out and live like, the, in a sense, the devil and expect God's blessing in every area of your life. Now, in saying that, this has nothing to do with your eternal security. It has nothing to do with your salvation. It has to do with God's protection, because sometimes God removes his protection from us when we do really, really dumb things. When you are sinful, you cannot ask God, God, bless me in my sin. Like if every single one of your hateful prayers was answered, what would happen? Daniel certainly was a committed man. Next thing we see in Daniel's life was he was consistent. He was consistent before God. He was a consistent man where he lived faithfully and continually. And you can imagine year after year after year doing the same thing again and again and again. And it can become quite laborious. It can become boring where we think, well, you know, I don't actually need to do this today. Daniel certainly was a consistent man, and I believe that you and I, to live in God's protection in every aspect of our lives, we need to live a consistent life before him. With our consistency, a good response is determine the response before the crisis. When you go to work and you're given an opportunity to do something that may be a little bit gray in the black and white scale, how are you going to respond when you're given that opportunity? 
Are you going to determine at the time when the pressure's all around you and the people are talking to you and they're looking at you going, are you going to make a decision right here, right now? And it's so easy to make the wrong choice when we are reactionary. I'm saying here is we need to determine a response, not simply determine a reaction. A determined response is saying, I'm going to choose to do right beforehand. So therefore, when I'm given the opportunity to possibly do wrong, I've already worked out, I'm not going to do that. In hindsight, I see this, and I really do appreciate something my parents did for myself as a teenager. Honestly, I never had to use this, but I was glad it was there. My dad said, you know, there's going to be times when you're invited to go places and do things or to do things that uh, you know are going to either get you in trouble or be really, really dangerous or ultimately be sinful that you're going to be given opportunity to do. Michael, if you ever need this as a response, it's okay. You can use this. You can blame it all on me. I'm talking about my dad. You can blame all of it on me if you need it as a response. Now, I, honestly, I didn't need to do that, but do you know what the same time is? It's really helpful to know as a response when you're given an opportunity to do something when all the other teenagers are doing it, you know what? I'm glad that my dad has my back. I'm glad that I have a response already ready to go that if I needed it, I can just blame dad. You know, my parents won't let me. Oh, yeah, I know, they're horrible. You know, but it was helpful to know because we determined the response beforehand. There's other areas in your life when you're going to need to determine a response I am not going to react to that person when they push my buttons. I know they're going to do it. I know that tomorrow when I go to work or go to school, they're going to push me. Those people are going to, in a sense, you know, they, they use the word bullying a great deal, but there's a great deal of bullying going on, and they're going to push my buttons. They're going to go, should I just react, or should I determine the response in the here and now? Daniel determined his response before the law was written that he was not allowed to pray to any god but the king. He knew his response. He knew what he was going to do. In 1 Peter 3.15, being always prepared to give a defense to anyone who seeks to ask a reason of the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That isn't the thinking ahead of the time going, I know they're going to say this, so I'm going to come up with a really, really good comeback beforehand. That's not what it's talking about there. It's saying, I'm going to be ready to give a defense. I'm going to be ready to share my faith with other people. I'm going to be ready to tell people no if the, if the answer needs to be no beforehand. It says there, with gentleness and respect. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, going back to that account, Daniel says, as he had done previously. He had already determined his response well beforehand where he was going to live a consistent life because he'd already determined to do so. little side note, this week, what can you do to determine your response beforehand? Can you think of some scenarios that you're going to face this next week that you can de determine your responses right here and right now that I'm going to respond this way? The other is that Daniel was consistent in always giving praise to God. Let me encourage you, read the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. It's incredible. You see in there, you see a vision of a huge statue of a king, Nebuchadnezzar. And you see a guy who loses his mind as King Nebuchadnezzar. And he totally loses his mind. He goes crazy for seven years. You see the account of three young men who are thrown into a fiery furnace that are miraculously saved by, they say, by a fourth one who is likened to the Son of God. And all of this in the first six chapters. It's an incredible book. 
And you read it, you go, that's absolutely amazing. Every single amazing thing that happened in Daniel's life and in this book, the praise was always directed to God. It never went back and go, Daniel, you are amazing. I know I am. That's not what he said at all. He says, boom, the kings of Babel and the kings of the world's superpower were praising the creator of the universe, God, Jehovah God, who ultimately is the same God who loves you and loves me. These men were directed to praise God. Daniel 6, verses 26 and 27 we see that again, and let's just read verse number 27. This is King Darius talking about God. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who had saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That is an amazing account from a man who did not know God. For you and I this week, as you go through the hard times that you may be facing, I want you to hold on to the fact and the principle for today that God's protection is waiting for me. It's there, it's ready, it's waiting. It's a matter for us to step out by faith and say, God, I'm ready to live and be who you want me to be and to live in your protection. I have two questions for you, and then I'll close with a challenge to finish this morning. The two questions are this. The first one is, have you allowed God to prepare you for hard times. In other words, when hard times come, do you just simply go, boy, it's something I have to endure and go through? Or are you looking for opportunities to be prepared by God, to use them as opportunities of growth rather than just a time period you're suffering through? Use it as a time period of growth. The second question is, will you ask God to reveal truth to you? Something I find so empowering when difficult times come. When you understand that God is preparing you and through that He's carrying you, the truth of the Word of God begins to jump out. When you're going through really hard times, let me challenge you, get into the Word of God, the Bible. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. Read a, a chapter of Proverbs a day the truth of the Word of God will jump out at you. And something will jump out at you, and the next time you read it, a couple of years later, another verse will jump out at you and go, that's exactly what I need. That's the truth that I need for today to live my life. And the challenge is for today is when God protects you, when He answers the prayer of protection for you and blesses you, make sure that you praise Him first. So as you go out this week, there are some people going through some really hard times. Why don't you stop for a moment and thank God for the blessings in your life. Thank God for the wonderful times that you've been able to enjoy, the truth that he's taught you as you grow and to develop into who God has created you to be. Let's pray together.